Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. With our theme being renew, we're trying to renew zeal in our lives. We're trying to renew dedication to God. We're trying to renew our prayer life. We're trying to renew our our dedication to Bible study. We're trying to find renewal this year because, you know, last year some of us felt kind of beat down a little bit. But I want to ask a question this morning as we think about this idea of renewing zeal in our life. The question is this, what are you willing to do in order to help someone follow Jesus? Let's think about thinking, what are you willing to do in order to help someone follow Jesus? I know sometimes, and I mentioned this before, that we come up with some pretty grandiose ideas. Well, you know, I die for somebody to preach them the gospel, or I do this or that. But a lot of times, day to day, every moment, every hour, opportunities arise, and we don't take them, and we allow certain things to get in the way of us teaching people about Christ. And let's take it a step further. Maybe not so much, what are you willing to do in order to teach people about Jesus, but maybe let's get personal. What are you willing to get over in order to teach people about Jesus? Because that's a lot of times what stops us from evangelizing. It's not so much a physical barrier, some kind of crisis in the world. It's us getting over embarrassment, us getting over fear, us getting over a problem maybe we had with that person, us getting over a difference in belief, a difference in opinion, a difference in background. To truly evangelize and teach people about Jesus, we have to get over stuff. I mean, we have to learn to let certain things go. We have to learn to ignore certain differences in belief. I mean, just to take this last year and a half or whatever and just throw out all the things that could divide us. Mask, vaccines, who you voted for, I mean, all sorts of stuff. I mean, those are all things that we could easily not get over and cause a lot of problems and hardship and not teach people about Jesus. Maybe let's put it a different way. What are you willing to go along with in order to teach someone the gospel? Maybe it's something you don't like. Maybe it's something you don't want to do. Maybe it's something you don't enjoy. Maybe it's something that you just, it really bothers you, but you go along with it in order to teach someone about Jesus. Here's where I'm going with this. The Apostle Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, makes this statement. He says, I have become all things to all people that I might, by all means, might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them its blessings. So Paul says he changes what he does in order to teach more people. He makes it very plain. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. So Paul says he changes activities, behaviors, and different things in order to reach more people. And you've probably heard that phrase before. If you grew up in the church or you've been to church sometime, you've probably heard people say in passing, become all things to all men. What does that look like? That's the challenge, right? Because I could get up here and say, become all things to all men, and everybody would nod their head in agreement. But what does that actually look like? How does that play out in the real world that we become all things to all people? 
That's what I want us to look at today. And we're going to look at it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21. And what we've been doing on Sunday mornings, if you're new here, we're going through the book of Acts, and we're trying to go section by section and learn from this inspired book of the Bible that teaches us the history of the early church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about Jesus and his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. The book of Acts talks about what Jesus' followers did after Jesus ascended into heaven. It's about them going out and preaching, guys like Peter and guys like Paul, going out and preaching the gospel, leading people to Christ, and planting churches along the way. And what I want us to see from Acts chapter 21 this morning, what it means to become all things to all men, it means to get over it, and it means to go along with it in order to teach the gospel. Let me show you what I mean from Acts chapter 21. If you haven't already turned your Bibles, let's, let's turn there and look at the situation here. Because what you're going to find is that there's going to be times in life where in order to teach people about Jesus, you have to let some things go. And that's what Paul does here. So let's read Acts chapter 21, um, verse 15. It says they got up and they went to Jerusalem. You remember last week, they were all warning Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to try to kill you. And Paul says, I don't care. I'm going to go there anyway. So he does. He goes there. And when they get there, they meet up with the different disciples. Then in verse 17, they arrived in Jerusalem and the brethren received us gladly. So Acts chapter 21, verse 18. And the following day, Paul went with us to James and the elders were present after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul arrives there in Jerusalem. He meets up with the church leaders. He meets up with James, and he meets up with some of the elders, and they all get together, and they, they have a meeting. You know, maybe a, a visiting preacher comes into town. We get together. We go out to eat. We talk about different church work things. That's what they did here. They get together. And when they get together, they start hearing about, and Paul is talking about how God is doing all these amazing things among the Gentiles. The Gentiles are becoming Christians. And you can imagine the people who are excited to hear this. They're zealous. They're, they're, they're loving this story. They're hearing about all this, and the good news is being shared. In fact, verse 20, it says, and when they heard it, they began to glorify God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands are among the Jews, those who have believed, and they are zealous for the law. So it starts out that we hear that many, many Jewish people and Gentiles are starting to follow Christ. The text here says thousands are beginning to follow Jesus. So the church is exploding now. People are becoming Christians all over the place, Jews and Gentiles. But when you have people from different backgrounds, they come with different baggage. The Gentiles had some of their practices they struggled with. Remember, they came from idol worship. That's why a lot of the instruction to them had to do with things that was unique to idol worship, like don't eat blood and don't, don't worship idols, that kind of thing. They had their own challenges. The Jewish people came from a different background. They followed the Old Testament law of Moses, and they had some challenges coming out of that. But many Jewish people are beginning to follow Christ. But with that then, there comes a problem. Look at verse 21. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the custom. So here's what's happening now. You have Jewish converts who are still zealous for the Old Testament. They want to follow Jesus, but they're also still trying to follow the Old Testament law. And that would mean a lot of different things. It could be 
sacrifices. It could be different purification rituals. It could be different feasts, all that. But they're still gung-ho for these Old Testament practices, and they're not really fully understanding that Jesus fulfilled that system. We don't go to the temple to offer sacrifice because Jesus is our sacrifice. Now, you know, that kind of idea. They didn't understand the fulfillment of that. And with that, then, there's a challenge because these Jewish converts are thinking that Paul is coming around and he's telling them to just get rid of the Old Testament. Because let's picture this now. You grew up always following the Old Testament. You, you, you knew the, the law. You tried to keep all the cleanliness rituals. You went to the temple. You went to all those different things. You participated in Judaism from beginning to end, all of it. And now you have someone like Paul who's telling you to follow Jesus, who's the Messiah. And you're like, all right, I'll do that. I believe in the Messiah. But along with it, Paul is saying things like, well, holy days aren't really significant anymore. Um, some of these rules about what you eat. All animals are clean, you know, that kind of thing. And you start hearing all this kind of stuff, and it kind of bothers you. Because you thought that you could follow Jesus and still keep all of these practices from the Old Testament. And now you're upset because it seems like Paul is just disregarding the Old Testament, which you can imagine how they would feel that way. In fact, the word that they use here for forsake is the same word for apostate, aka in Greek. It's they're saying, you're apostatizing. You are just forsaking, getting rid of, casting out the old law, and they're upset by this. They think Paul is coming in and just throwing out uh, centuries of history of religion. And they're bothered by this. You can think how that would be that way. They're trying to follow Jesus. These aren't bad people. It's not like they're forcing the old law, but they're like, well, make sense of this for us, Paul. It seems like you're just casting it out. So the elders gather Paul together, and they talk to him, and they explain what's going on. They explain how you have these new converts that are kind of upset with him because they think that Paul just hates the law of Moses, that he hates the Old Testament. So what should he do? Well, look at verse 22. Here's the question. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So they say, look, we're worried, Paul. If these Jewish converts hear that you are, have arrived in Jerusalem, <laughs> it's going to be a mess. They're going to think that you've come to just tear down the temple and make everything, you know, get rid of the law of Moses and everything. We need you to do something to settle everybody down. We need you to do something to calm everybody's nerves and to get rid of some of these accusations against you. The church leaders get with Paul and they give him some very practical advice on how to navigate this situation. And it seems strange. So let's set the stage, just in case you're not following it. You have Jewish Christians who are still trying to follow the old law, which has been fulfilled, and they also think that Paul kind of hates the old law because he's telling people to cast a lot of it off and follow Jesus. So it's a very difficult situation now to navigate. These aren't false teachers or bad brethren. They're people that are trying to follow Jesus, but they're still clinging to these Old Testament practices. And you have Paul, who has a reputation of almost just like, get rid of all of it. What's Paul supposed to do? Well, the church leaders in that area, who know that culture, who know the people, get with Paul and talk to him, which practically speaking, that makes a lot of sense. A visiting preacher isn't the one to solve all of your problems. It's the people that are among the community, right? I mean, um, so they bring Paul in and they explain to him, like good shepherds do, who know the flock, 
what's going on. And here's what they suggest Paul to do. You might be thinking, I've never heard this before in the Bible. Let's read. Verse 23. Therefore, do this that we tell you. So listen up. Do this, Paul. Here's how you handle this situation. We have four men who are under a vow. Now, we don't know all about this vow. We don't know what it consisted of. Um, It seemed to be some kind of a vow of purification. The Jewish men would oftentimes do these things like this, like shave their head and wash your body and do different things, kind of like Nazarite vows and that kind of thing, to purify themselves, to set themselves apart. It was a religious practice that happened under Judaism, okay? So you have these men that are involved in this vow. And here's what the elders tell Paul to do. They say, take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. Now, this seems to go against everything we've ever been taught about the Old Testament and New Testament relations, doesn't it? Because, think about it. We know that the old law was fulfilled in Jesus. We know that it was a tutor to lead us to Christ, Galatians chapter 3. We know that justification comes from faith in Jesus and not in keeping the old law. And we've been told all the time that the law has been done away with, right? But yet, here you have, this should create some tension in us a little bit because this is difficult, right? Here you have these Christians who are following Jesus who are still engaged in Jewish rituals, okay? And then the elders of the church suggest that Paul go along with them in order to get rid of the accusations that Paul just despises the Old Testament. You might be thinking, that seems a little extreme. What are you willing to do to preach someone the gospel? You know what Paul does? He pays for their haircuts. He does. He goes, he goes along with it. He, he funds the expense. He goes through the practice here of this ritual. And he does it. He, the elders suggest him to do this, and he goes along with it. When you go ahead in verse 26, after verse 25, they talk about what the different rules for the Gentiles. But in verse 26, Paul took the men, and the next day purifying himself along with them. So here you have Paul, evangelist of Jesus Christ going through a ritualistic purification process and entering into the temple and then telling everybody that he did it. And he did the special sacrifice as well. What in the world are we to make of that? Here you have Paul, Christian, doing non-Christian things, basically. And I know we understand the motive behind it, but Here he is going through an Old Testament ritual. But I thought that was done away. Here he's doing this. Why in the world would he have done that? What is the application for us? Well, let's make the easy application first. The easy application is, hey, a lot of people are being converted to verse 20. Isn't that great? We got that. But as we go on, we do find verse 21 seems to allude to the fact that the old law as a system, was being done away. Paul was preaching to not follow it anymore, which that's why the accusation came about. The accusation that they made that he's just disregarding the old law is grounded in somewhat of a truth. 
Paul is telling people that the law was your tutor to lead us to Christ, therefore don't bind circumcision. Remember, he wrote a whole letter to the Gentile or to the Galatians about that. Romans 2, telling them basically, you're not under that system anymore. Don't follow that. But because he's doing that, people start to say, oh, he hates it. He's just forsaking it. He's just apostatized completely and no longer wants to follow the old law. Well, now there's a problem with that. And sometimes we do know that preaching the truth will drive people away. It happens. When you preach right and wrong, it will drive some people away. If you tell people that's a sin and that is a sin, people don't like that. And it drives people away. However, just because preaching the truth will drive people away, we should try to find a way to preach the truth to people and not drive them away. I think sometimes we think it's virtuous to make everybody angry. There's a way to preach the truth to people in a way that might not tick everybody off. Sometimes it will, no matter what. If you tell people, hey, by the way, be faithful to your wife, some people don't like that. If you say immorality is a sin, some people aren't going to like that. If you say, you know, love your neighbor, some people aren't going to like that, no matter what and no matter how nice you do it. However, if there's a way to navigate a difficult situation in order to not push people away. So here you have Jewish people who are trying to follow Jesus. If, and they're thinking that Paul is going to come in there and he's going to like be burning the Torah and tearing down the temple. That's what they picture going to happen. So they're waiting for that. And now Paul's warned by good godly leaders to be prepared for that. And they say, hey, we have this idea that might calm everybody's nerves. You'll still preach the truth, but it'll also show the people that you have a respect for their customs, for their beliefs, for their, you know, various dedications and commitments, and so on. Paul then chooses to do something strange, at least to us, but culturally it was significant, in order to teach them. I have on the screen the application for us is it's okay to go along with cultural, religious, or even ignorant practices. Because they're doing it kind of out of ignorance now. They don't truly understand what it's all about anymore. But it's okay to go along with different practices as long as they're not sinful. Obviously, if the cultural practice is, um, you know, kill somebody, don't do that and say I'm doing it for the cause of Christ. But here, this wasn't anything wrong. Is it wrong to shave your head and to bathe in a special way? No. Does it make a whole lot of people happy if you do? Yes. Will it make them think that you still respect their history as a people? That you still respect their culture? That you still respect their traditions? Yes, it will. And if it's going to help you lead somebody to Christ, do it. Now, that's difficult, isn't it? Because every situation is different. I mean, Paul's situation there was different than over here. Remember, in one situation, he told, um, was it Timothy to be circumcised, but over here, Titus not. I mean, it depends on the situation. Right here, to appease the people from a Jewish background, he chose to go along with one of their religious rituals. That might make us nervous. That might make us uncomfortable. Well, isn't he endorsing something bad? He's not doing anything wrong. But is, shouldn't he be telling them that they're ignorant? But by going along with this for a moment, he opened up a door of opportunity to teach them the truth. So what does becoming all things to all people look like? Well, it looked like what Paul did right here. Going along with 
what they were doing and finding a way to appease people in order to still preach the message. He didn't like soften the message to appease them, no. See, sometimes that's what happens today. Instead of going along with certain practices and doing certain things to appease people and to try to get you know, a chance to preach to them, people just change the message and say, oh, we're becoming all things to all men. We're never told to compromise truth in Scripture, and we're never told to sin in Scripture. But we do have examples of navigating difficulties in culture and tradition and practice in order to reach more people. What does becoming all things to all people look like? It looks like this. So I tried to think of some times in my own life where maybe I've had to do this. Now, I've not, well, I do shave my head, but it wasn't for a ritual of purification. I'm just kind of thin up there now, and it makes me look tougher. Um, but what does it look like to become all things to all men? Several years ago, I was invited to speak on a, on a program at a church that has a, a reputation for being very much hardline on a lot of things. And... I knew going into this situation that I was an outsider. I was the preacher from California. This was in the South, which already you're looked at as like you're a heathen. I was a younger guy, and I went to a school that no one there went to, okay? That means that I am an outsider. This place where I went, pretty much for the most part, it is a unwritten slash written rule that you're going to read from the King James Bible only. That's what you do there. I don't do that. I think there's better translations, and I don't speak 1611. Actually, it's like 1700 English. Um, but, so, but when I went there, you know what I did? I read publicly from the King James Bible. I had to pull one off my shelf. I don't normally do that. I wore my best suit and tie because that's what everybody wore there, and I don't like suits and ties. And I did that because I had a sermon that I wanted to preach there on atonement. And it was a message that I think they really needed to hear. And I'm not saying they're bad people or anything like that. They're, oh, they don't understand atonement. But the, my goal was to teach on atonement at that moment. Not to argue about translations. Not to talk about dress and worship. At that moment, to become all things to all people, I got over the issue that I really wanted to argue about and went along with it. So that way, the young guy from California who went to a different school than all of us, it's probably some crazy liberal, I didn't want to give them a chance to think that. So I hiked up my tie, and I had, it was a calfskin King James, by the way, because preachers still got to use calfskin Bibles. And I went up there, and I preached from that Bible in that way and was able to build a relationship there that now has opportunities to deal with those issues. I went along with it. There's been several times over the years that people will come to the church even during the week or something like that, and they'll tell me, hey, I, I'm not really a Christian, I'm not that faithful, but I know the Bible teaches we need to tithe and I want to give my tithe. Okay. I first off believe that the tithing system, the 10% of the Old Testament was to support the priesthood and that we're supposed to give generously, we see in the New Testament, but the idea of the quote-unquote tithe, I, I, I don't think it's, I think we're missing the boat on that a lot of times. However, someone comes to me and says, I need to give my tithe. Is that the time and place for me to go, you know what, let me teach you a little bit better about what the Old Testament process of tithing was all about so you better understand giving? No. You know what I do? We'll, we'll gladly accept your offering right now. Can I pray with you? I get over it at that moment because that's not the argument we need to have at that time. I've had people come to the church before and say, I want to know if I can come into your sanctuary and pray. Well, this isn't a sacred place. I mean, we're, we're the church. There's nothing special about praying here versus praying outside or praying at home. But I choose to not deal with that question at that time. I go, sure, come on in here. Would you like me to turn on the lights? I'll be outside if you need me. 
Why? Because I'll go along with that. I think it's a flawed thinking. It's flawed to believe that you have to go to a church building to pray to God. That is not biblical. But I go along with it then because I want to help this person. It's flawed to believe that as long as you give 10%, you're still good with God when you live a life of sin. I know that, but right then that person really felt like they needed to give, so I went along with it. So we do that. What about modesty standards? Now, I know there's some universal ideas of modesty, but in some places versus others, it's different. When I went in Guatemala, they told us to do not wear shorts. Men don't wear shorts in this culture. I'm like, but I like shorts, and it's hot here. No. So I go along with it. I didn't argue that their culture was flawed in that way. They should all wear shorts. It's hot. But I didn't do it, right? Um, I have some friends that went to the Middle East and toured some sacred Islamic places. When they go there, you know what you're required to do? Dress in certain traditional Islamic garments. They're not Muslims. They're Christians. But because at that culture, if you want to even have a chance to talk to them, you think you walk in and defile a mosque? You think that's the way you're going to have a dialogue with anybody? No. So you put on the hijab and you go inside. A preacher friend one time told me, and this one really stuck with me. This one might make us uncomfortable a little bit too. This preacher friend of mine, and he's uh, one that's preached here before, uh, an older guy that's very wise in handling different situations. He told me that one time when he was preaching in this place, that there was this couple that he'd been working on. The wife and the kids went to church, but the husband didn't. The husband was one that liked to mock Christianity, thought it was stupid, thought if you went to church, you were just foolish and ignorant, and was just open about his disdain for the church. Well, apparently something happened, and there was some way this guy got convinced to come to the church service with his wife and kids. I don't know if it was a vacation Bible school or kids were getting an award, whatever it was. And he came. And afterwards, he got suckered into going out to eat with the preacher and his wife and with his wife and his kids there. And it was obvious this guy's disdain for the church, and he was kind of huffing gruff and, you know, snide comment here and there about Christianity. And the preacher's trying to make the situation calm down and trying to reach out to this guy. And so as they're ordering pizza, and the, the preacher goes, hey, order what you want, it's on me. So this man looks at him and goes, I'll take a Bud Light. So he knows the preacher's not a drinker. He knows that most preachers probably aren't going to buy you beer, right? So now, my wife told me, don't tell you this. This is going to get you in trouble. But um, I tried to think, what would I do in this situation? That's a real-life situation now. You know this guy is looking for a reason to go, ha-ha, you're judgmental. I knew it. So I remember a word, because this is a preaching school. We're hearing this, by the way. All of us are like, oh, man, he's, what did he do? Did he tell him, you know, drinking's bad, you shouldn't be doing that? Did he? What did he do? And we were totally shocked when this fine golly preacher said, I bought him that beer. And I remember thinking, at the time, I was like, well, but, but what, you're condoning this bad behavior, you shouldn't do that. He goes, after that, I got a Bible study with that guy. And he goes, and after that, the guy apologized to me and said, look, I was just testing you. You knew I was testing you. And the fact that you didn't like take me out behind the pizza parlor and whoop me for trying to put you on the spot like that, spoke to me so much that I thought maybe there's something to this Christianity. The guy became a Christian. Now, I'm not saying go out and buy people beer in order to convert them. But what I'm saying is sometimes we find ourselves in difficult, weird situations. Didn't Paul? Think about it. 
Paul was willing to shave his head and go through a pointless purification ritual because now they're purified in Jesus. You're baptized into Jesus Christ, you're pure from your sin. You can enter into the heavenly temple that way now. We don't have to enter into a physical temple. But Paul went through that practice in order to calm the people and preach to them. Now, every situation is different. I, I don't know if I would have handled that situation, that restaurant that way or whatever it was, but I do know I found myself in situations over the years where I've had to get over some things. Maybe someone will say something in conversation that just goes against maybe my political leanings. They'll say, can you believe what Joe Biden did or can you believe what Donald Trump did? And you're like, eh. And no. I'll nod my head and go, yeah, politicians are losers, aren't they? You know, whatever it is, try some generic way to handle it, right? Because you go along with it. You get over it. Someone makes a statement about something and they're so upset about it. I, I do this all the time with you guys, by the way. Um, I'll be in the foyer and someone goes, you know, the other day I went to this church and they were doing this. And I'm like, well, really? In the back of my mind, I'm thinking either you're really right or you're really wrong. But I'm like, I'll just let it go. What does becoming all things to all people look like? It means doing whatever is necessary to help someone follow Jesus. It doesn't mean sinning. It never means sinning, so don't think I'm saying that. It never means compromising the truth. No, there's a lot of false teachers out there that do that today. They say, oh, to reach people with Jesus, we won't talk about sin anymore. The Bible talks a lot about sin, and it talks a lot about obedience, right? And, and repentance. But, follow, but becoming all things to all men means doing what is ever necessary besides sinning to help someone follow Jesus. Now, the situation in your life might be different than the situation in my life. The situations that we will find ourselves in will be different than the situation that Paul found himself in. I've never found myself in a situation where I've had to, you know, go through a ritual purification process in order to reach someone the gospel. But you know what? I have put on silly costumes and jumped up down on stage here at Vacation Bible School. And I don't really like doing that, okay? But I do it because I want people to follow Jesus. I put myself in awkward, uncomfortable situations because I want people to follow Jesus. I, 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 I wear certain attire in one place and different attire in another because I want to follow Jesus. I put aside my strong opinions on things, which you've known me long enough. I'm pretty opinionated, right? I put those opinions away in order to help people follow Christ. So what does it mean to become all things to all men? Sometimes it means get over it. Sometimes it means go along with it in order to teach people the gospel. Now this lesson made me uncomfortable to put together and I'm really sweaty up here preaching it because this goes against a lot about how I would normally do things. But Acts chapter 21 here really called me on the carpet on this idea on what am I willing to get past in order to help someone follow Jesus. And by the way, as I was preparing this lesson, because my number one pet peeve is people park in front of my house. I look outside the window and there's a car parked in front of my house. It's not my car. And I usually get really grumbly about that, which I'm supposed to love my neighbor, I know. And Zinni says, you know, you really should get over it. Right as I'm writing this on a slide, she said, get over it. She's right. The Bible's right. Sometimes we have to just get over some things because we're on this earth for a short time. We have a really important mission that we're a part of. Everything else doesn't really matter. What matters is eternity with God and helping people experience that. The lesson is yours this morning. There's been a song that was selected that Curtis will lead here in just a moment. If there's anyone here that isn't a Christian, we want to help you become one. 
If, if you want to learn more, talk to me afterwards. Uh, if you have a need, let one of us know. We want to help you follow Jesus. We're not perfect in how we follow him. We're still fumbling along the way, but we believe that through Jesus Christ there's hope, there's forgiveness, and there's a better future. So if that's something that you want to be a part of and you're not part of it, come forward and talk to me. It's together we stand and as we sing. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.